This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. Old school, chicka, 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 old school style podcast with just Chris Nee and myself. Christopher, did you like the like the little chicka, chicka thing there? Whatever, some shady. <laughs> My name is what? My name is what? All right. So yeah, Josh Newberg is out right now. He's celebrating his, well, what do we think? It's like his 50th birthday. See the big 30, I think it's 38. So I need to say something real quick. I've known it's going to be Josh's birthday for about a month and a half now because I keep getting reminders that it's going to be his birthday today. I don't want to know when any of my friends' birthdays are. I really don't care when anyone's birthday is. Okay. Other than my wife's. I, cool. just, I just think I, I just don't – that's not, not something I need to know. But I do wish him a happy birthday. think we should call him later to bug him on his birthday, on his, on his slow day? No, that's probably the number one thing he doesn't want to hear. That's why we should do it. So throughout this long, rigorous offseason, getting to the point where Chris and I can talk about football, like this is what we've been wanting to do for months. This is our specialty. This is what Chris and I love to do. This is why a big reason why this podcast exists is to go over what we're learning about the football program. Uh, we've had to focus solely and primarily on that to kind of get you guys through this, our listeners. We didn't want to be Debbie Downers. We didn't want to be focusing on the negative aspect of the world around us. And it's obviously a uh, Chris, what a not fun time to be, be a human being right now. It's not ideal. Don't go, don't go, Dan Wolken on me. I don't need that in my <laughs> life. I, my God, I wonder if that guy has any friends. Oh my God, uh, one time I remember an ESPN PR person tweeting at him after he was snarky about the college football, the first college football playoff ratings uh, drop when FSU probably was like fourth or something crazy like that at that time. Uh, the PR person for ESPN asked Dan Wolken if his shirt was too tight again, and that's why he was acting out. <laughs> I got to say, I like Dad. He's always been nice to me, but he has been banging the drum of football season not happening. And here it is, man. It's staring at us right in the face right now. Uh, my point being, though, we've had this podcast where we've kind of avoided talking about that because you guys know the reality of it. There's plenty of places you can go to listen or read about what's happening in the world around us and as it affects football and sports in general, but as it pertains to those of you who listen to the show, college football. What we're going to do today is have two timelines of a podcast, Chris, okay? So we're going to have one where you and I just talk about football and pretend like the outside world, like nothing bad is happening, okay? Then we will take a commercial break and we'll focus on some of the things that I feel like we probably can't totally avoid anymore. Does that sound all right? Yeah, it sounds like a college football multiverse. <laughs> Which is basically what's happening right now anyways. Everyone's just operating and doing their own thing and no one can agree on, on anything. Actually, that's just the whole entire world uh, as we see it, so... Woo! Fun times. Hey, I, I won't do the ad read right now for Daniel Garland because of just coming off negative stuff. I want to be in a positive, happy place when we're talking about it. But I do want to thank Daniel Garland. He's sponsoring, him and Evershore Financial are sponsoring this entire month of podcasts for us. We do appreciate 
to support. Daniel is a Florida State graduate. He's a Florida State fan. He's a fan of this podcast. And most importantly, he's someone who's really knowledgeable about finances and, and how you can create a plan that is, one, fits your needs, but two, puts you on a responsible path to get wherever you want to go. So uh, we'll give you a little bit more information on how you can learn more about how Daniel Garland can can help you get to where you want to go financially, which is obviously really important right now. So Christopher, football. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want, let's do this. Let's soothe people right now because this is a time of uncertainty. Let's just have you calmly list out some of your favorite cliches. Can you say check the boxes for me? I feel like Mike Norvell wants his team to check all the boxes in the preseason. Woo! Uh, let's talk about the offensive line. Do you think they have a bunch of guards or are there some guys who can maybe even play tackle? Would you move the, the tackles to guards? What would you do there? There's a lot of guards on that team. They uh, There's some centers who could play guard, some guards who can play guard, and some tackles who can play guard. And then what about high school cornerbacks? Like, uh, Are some of the guys who recruited to play cornerback going to play probably, safety? They're, they're probably all going to be safeties, let's be honest. <laughs> all right, so that wasn't really how, how many? How many can literally live on an island? Uh, I think Asante Samuel can. Yeah, I, I think Miko Dodson can too. Uh, that's an early impression. All right, that is an early impression, and let's get on to the positive here. So FSU started preseason camp on Friday. They've had three practices. Yesterday, Sunday was day three. Actually, they've had more than three practices. They've had three days of practice because they've had some split practices, so they've had multi-practices a day. Uh, but yesterday was the first day in pads. Now they take a break, kind of recuperate, watch some film. Today, Monday, as we record this podcast, and, uh, and assuming, you know, that football is happening by the time I publish this in the afternoon <laughs> on Tuesday, uh, there'll be practice again on Tuesday. So general thoughts, Chris, of well, maybe can you paint a picture for our listeners about how we're covering the team right now? Because it's not traditional. Yeah, it's a virtual environment for us right now. So we're doing Zoom this past week because they did split squad, which means they had mostly veterans practicing together and mostly young guys practicing together. They did that in order to be more informational, more uh, hands-on, more about technique and fundamentals, and just the ability to teach guys in a smaller setting, which is why they did that. Now, a team will come back together to do full team practices when they resume on Tuesday, so they're getting away from that. But during the split squad portion, we were getting availability before the basically in the middle of the two practices with some of the veterans and then with some of the younger guys some other veterans and with the coaches after the afternoon practice coach norvell spoke in the afternoon each day on friday saturday and sunday after the practices so we were you know speaking to them on zoom it's a collection of media consistently means to known for 247 the regulars you know from the beat are also there we're able to talk to them. FSU is issuing us some photos, some video from practice. They did that on Friday, the first day, and yesterday, the third day. They were able to send us some stuff from that. So, obviously, it's a little bit like the information being force-fed to us, and we're all getting the exact same thing, which to a degree is obviously very disappointing because we're the type that like to be there pounding the pavement, walking around, taking in our own observations, chit-chatting with those we can chit-chat with, collect what we can in person. But COVID protocols for Florida State simply won't allow that right now. Pretty much the only people allowed in those buildings are the players, coaches, and support personnel that works with the team. They've all been tested. FSU is essentially living the bubble life for preseason football right now, which is why we're not allowed in. 
obviously we're hoping down the road, maybe watch it from like the baseball stadium. So there's still distance between us and them, but we shall see if we get there right now. We have no expectations of being able to do something. Like I that. was told the baseball stadium, at least right now is a no go. I pitched that. The other yeah. Day. I, I don't expect us to have in-person interaction with Florida state football. If the preseason continues until the determination of we're definitely allowing this many fans into the stadium we're full go with that. And these are going to be our media protocols during the season. I think for right now, they are going to live the bubble life and we're going to live it on the outside. This is like last week when we were talking about some pizzas better. Yeah. Frozen pizza is better than no pizza at all. That's what I feel like right now yeah, with, with camp. I mean, honestly, it sucks. Like I, I don't enjoy this. I'm, I'm a person who I want to be on the ground covering a program, covering a recruit. That's how I do. I don't live on the other side of a computer and act like I cover a program. That's not how I operate. Never have, never will. That's why we're called I, on the bench because I, on the bench, we're there. I want to be there in person, but I also understand the protocols, what they're trying to do, the fact that they're trying to maintain a safe environment, the fact yeah. that they're trying to allow this to launch. So I can you know, shovel what I need to shovel and live with it. I'm not complaining about that. Obviously, I'd rather the other, but I fully understand why we're doing it in the process we're doing it. Yeah. I'm just, it just simply from the fact I've done this for almost two decades now, it's disappointing that it's such an altered environment from what I'm used to. We can say it's not ideal while saying we still appreciate that we're getting some access at the same time. Those two can exist. You and I want to be there. That's something that we specialize in. This is what we love doing. This is our jobs. This is the favorite time of year for both of us. Uh, this This is why we cover football is to actually be there covering football. The idea that they were going to have practices open to us. That's something that Mike Norvell did at Memphis. That's something he was going to continue doing at Florida State. I was really looking forward to that because that was going to give you and I and Josh and everyone at Knowles 24 seven, a chance to distinguish ourselves some in coverage. So yeah. yeah, And we're, we're also, we're still learning about this team under these coaches, under these schemes, and we're kind of missing out on the ability to absorb as much as possible with regards to that, which is just disappointing because you can go and watch Memphis film, but FSU players are different than Memphis players. FSU's personnel and the way it's, crafted right now is different than Memphis personnel when Mike Norvell walked out of there he had crafted his team here he's you know added several of his own to the mix but also has a lot of guys that are he's adopted because he's a new coach so it's one of those where you can act like you know what they're going to do and what they're going to try to execute but it's different than actually knowing how the pieces they have fit into the puzzle they're trying to accomplish I think that's a good point and that's the final thing I want to talk about before we start going we'll go just position by position what we've learned about each group the point I want to get to, though, is this is kind of – it's difficult to give a full evaluation of what we've learned for two reasons. One, like Chris said, we're not there to experience and, and see it and get a, a legitimate feel for what's going on. And even if it were just, say, how it was under Willie Taggart or Jimbo Fisher where you were watching a few periods, just even the ability to see a guy run around and see someone throw a football, see how someone moves – see how a player's body language is when he's being coached. Like those are things that are all still valuable that you learn over a period of time to follow patterns and kind of project things. It doesn't give you a hundred percent hit right by any means of understanding how a player is going to project when the season begins, but it gives you something to work on. It gives you a baseline. We don't have that right now. And we could talk to sources and get an idea, which, which we all are trying our best to do. But that's the other point I want to make is this new coaching staff. Like we don't, have the rapport with a coaching staff that you would have had through years of interacting with, or even a full spring. Like they've been on quarantine for majority of the time we've known them. So you may know someone a little bit, but like face-to-face contact has been almost 
non-existent. Yeah, and we talked about that in the camp series on that you you build a relationship with staffs during those camps, and you also do it during the spring recruiting season. One, when they have kids coming into FSU, and two, when I'm out on the road or Josh is out on the road visiting a recruit, and suddenly here comes FSU assistant who's recruiting a kid, and you strike up a conversation for 10 minutes. You find things out about their quirks, their thoughts on players, and those settings that you just never can get when you're in this different environment. That's the only other thing I would like to, from what can be controlled, and obviously us not being there just isn't something that can happen right now for safety reasons. I get it. I do wish we could find a way to get more than just a few minutes of B-roll to see what was going on. If there was a way to have the full 15 minutes of like what used to be the, the individual work videotaped and sent to us, not even to put out there, but just for us to be able to see what's going on. Maybe that's something that we can work on trying to get down the road and then trying to see if FSU would be cooperative. But right now I think they're all just trying to get by and get through as well. So I, I, I get it. The one plus side, Chris, I got to spend the first day and a half covering camp from the beach. I was like, well, we don't have to be anywhere. I got a hotel room at St. George Island. Yeah. The whole virtual environment's a weird deal. As long as you got an internet connection, you can act like you covered a team. Salty, salty. No, not salty, not salty. Just very direct. That too. I'm trying to learn to be more direct because of you. Uh, but then I don't do a good job and I'm overly direct and it gets me in trouble. Years of practice. So let's go position by position, explain what we have learned, kind of get try to see what we can get an idea of, of reading between the lines. At quarterback, obviously there's four to go over. James Blackman, Jordan Travis, Chubba Purdy, who runs a 4-4-40 apparently. You guys are welcome. I asked that question. And, uh, and Tate Rotomaker, the last two are true freshmen. Try to think of where to start. Let's go with James Blackman, Chris. You you were in on that interview. Uh, the big question with James is mentally, is he a, a different player? Is he more composed? Can the staff get him there? And then two, are the mechanics changing? Because that seems to be something that people are focusing on. And even Mike Norvell seemed to hint that yesterday, that they're working on timing and, and more functional skills with him throwing the ball. Well, a little bit of clips we've seen of Blackman. He definitely looks like he's cleaned it up a bit. The feet are a little tighter. The shoulders a little better. The elbows tucked a little better. Um, things are just more compact, quick, and it gets out better. So, yeah, I would say the mechanics look better. I think that's a product of Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham care about mechanics. There, there's coaches that do, and there's coaches that don't. And Jimbo certainly was one that would, did. He would tear you down completely. Oh, you, you, think, you. <laughs> you think and, Jimbo did? And Mike Norvell, I feel like, is in a similar cloth to that in the sense of it matters. So I think we've seen that with James. James also spoke about when he was back home and having to push himself and do it, that he worked hard on stuff like that, understanding that timing is such a precise piece of this offense. As far as the emotional part, he said the right things. Um, his teammates in that room, the quarterbacks, are talking about him being a good leader and working well with them and talking well with them. I forget if it was Tate or Chubba, but one of the two freshmen – said, you know, he's just been exquisite. I think it was Chubba. It was Chubba who said he really respected the way. Yeah, that he's just, he's been unbelievable at going out of his way to be helpful, not just answering questions, but explaining things in depth, demonstrating it, just being an excellent teammate. And I think we all know James is that. Um, the emotional thing I think more comes down to when the pressure gets turned up and it's crunch time and the bullets are flying at 100%, how is he going to handle that? And I don't think we can judge that off three days of practice that's going to take time throughout camp and, and really seeing like when they can get the two minute drill going with everyone wearing pads, that's when you kind of get the, the pressure cooker. That's what Jimbo, that was one of the best parts of his practice was that pressure cooker. He was able to put quarterbacks in that made or made that made or broke different, different players over the years. Uh, Jordan Travis is interesting. 
to me, Chris, because we know what he can do mobility wise. The big question is arm strength. I don't know how much, not even just arm strength, being able to get the ball down the field, but more so putting velocity behind passes, being able to get the ball out of the hashes and, uh, and just basically being able to make every single throw. He, he didn't seem to have that confidence at all from the coaching staff last year. That's something that we even saw in person and practices was the ball would struggle to, to go through the air. If it was windy, it would flutter. And lo and behold, like he was limited uh, for what he could do as a passer last year. But Mike Norvell, to be fair, is saying he's seen more arm talent than maybe he was given credit for. I'm, Again, we don't see that much of it, so it's hard to tell. I was heard, I've was i heard mixed things about his arm talent. I've heard he's still putting the ball behind people a little bit more than maybe they would like. But even if it's just 25% better and more consistent, that with his legs makes him a legitimate threat in this offense. Yeah, and Jordan spoke about the fact that he doesn't like that he's thought of as only a running quarterback because prior to last year, he'd always been thought of as a passer, mm-hmm. first and foremost. He mentioned that in his interview. Norvell's kind of, to a slight degree, gassed up. He's made good throws. You know, that's been kind of a consistent thing. I think he said in two of his three post-practice interviews about Jordan Travis. So, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of pushing there, trying to build confidence, trying to get him to be a little more consistent with that. There's a reason we only saw him throw the ball 10 times last year, though. I mean, let's not act like he magically became drastically different in one summer while he was away from a program most of the time. So I still think his greatest threat in this offense is going to be his legs. But if he can be a capable passer, you have to respect him more in the offense. And he's probably a package player at the end of the day. I just think out of those four guys, from an arm talent and overall array of skill and such, I think he's a fourth. And that may just be me projecting it. In fact, it is just me projecting it. But I do feel that way based on what we saw last year, what we know of the others. It's just kind of where I stand with him. But does he have value? Certainly. I thought the most interesting thing Jordan said when we spoke to him was that he believes that Norvell and the offense can tailor to any of the four guys. And I do believe that's true. I think Norvell's shown in his coaching career that he tailors his offense around the quarterback. It's not the quarterback has to fit into the offense. All four of those guys have more or less gushed over the offense and the way that Mike Norvell teaches it and the way they the things they can do, the options they have. I think Tate Rotemaker they got really excited at the fact that like he has pre-play checks and and has some different options he can do all the time. So uh, there's that level of, of optimism that the quarterbacks are putting back into Mike Norvell as he's kind of putting it into them. Uh, what would you say we've gotten to know about the two freshman quarterbacks, Chuba and, and Tate, so far, Chris? When you asked Chuba about his speed and he answered it as he did, did you? What was it like? What was your emotional state? I had to get the tweet out before anyone else did, and I, I <laughs> you, think I, I think I failed at it. I don't think I you, did it first. You were trying to tweet in four point four seconds. Oh, uh, uh, you know, I had this. Oh, that's a good one. No, we had this obligation to put it on the message board first, and then put the link, and it just it, it bogs down the Twitter game. Um. I mean, my take on those two is Tate mainly talked about early enrolling being kind of disappointing because of a washout of the spring, which we all knew was the case. But he also said he enjoyed the college experience he had for those first three months. He's also put on some good weight. He said it was valuable to be in those meeting rooms with Coach Dillingham and the other quarterbacks leading up to the spring. So there was still value in it. But he obviously enrolled for 15 practices, and he only got three of them. So he got 20% of what he truly enrolled early for in the sense of football. Um, and with Chuba, you know, talk with speed. Chuba's a guy that there's obviously a lot of buzz around. People are very interested in. He moves the needle probably more than anybody on the team currently, I would say, um, from a fan base standpoint. I, with him, I think he comes off as a guy who 
he doesn't strike you as a freshman. He's not a deer in the headlights right now. He's very, very comfortable with his surroundings. Some of that probably comes from being the brother of Brock, who's obviously succeeding at a high level in the college game, gotten a lot of national spotlight. They are very close. So I'm sure Brock's helped to mentally condition him some for what he's walking into. I think Chubb also understands he's a guy that fits a Mike Norvell offense, probably the best of any of the four guys in that room in the sense of having the entire array of skills that he's looking for. So for him, it's going to be about learning the system, getting comfortable in the system, learning how to operate the system under fire. You can know the playbook, but being able to operate the playbook and make quick decisions intelligently on the field is an entirely different thing that comes with reps. And he's obviously having to play catch up in that department. If, the two new quarterbacks, the two freshmen, were quarterbacks from Varsity Blues. I think Chubba Purdy would be like Paul Walker's character, more kind of the very polished, prototypical, when you think of quarterback, like just saying all the right things and being kind of the golden boy like that. And, and then and then Tate Rotomaker's a little bit more like James Vanderbeek. Just kind of got a little grit to him, a little – he'll just say whatever – not whatever he wants to say, but not as much as that – tight quarterback speak if he kind of thinks something he'll say it like like everyone was asked so who's your favorite freshman to throw to and all the quarterbacks you know, they don't want to say a name they don't want to hurt any feelings got to toe a line and and take runmaker sec I, I really like throwing the ball to brian robinson and and um and carter boatwright those are probably my two favorite ones he's gonna say what he wants to say oh you like that chris all right let's go to tight ends because you because you oh, oh, we're skipping straight ahead yeah yeah we're just gonna get this i could talk about hey i could talk about wyatt rector you could talk about carter boatwright uh we'll just pretend that everyone isn't gushing about Cameron McDonald and, and play favorites. Let's do that. Well, I mean, I think Cameron McDonald is the focal point at that position. When Mike yes. Norvell spoke of McDonald, it was very clear. He spoke of a guy who understands he's very much in his money here. He's physically improved. His speed is still good, maybe even better despite putting on an additional amount of weight. He's a guy that I think they're definitely looking at to be the focal point of that position. But they also always, when they talk about the position, they don't really truly call it a tight end. They call it more of a three in their offense, which is sort of, if you think about Clemson, what they do with their fullback tight end hybrid type of game, that's more what we're looking at with this position. With them, you can tell they're talking about they want versatility. So a guy like Jordan Wilson, who's a bigger body, definitely matters in that. Cam McDonald, who's a more athletic, long body, definitely factors into that. White Rector is kind of a mix of those two guys where he's a little more physical, compact, definitely a guy that's willing to get chippy. He fits into that. Carter Boatwright, still green behind the ears, but has a little bit of that big body frame, but can also get down the field and do some things. Has made some catches, apparently, in the first three days of practices that have stood out to his uh, teammates and coaches so I think that position is always going to be about the group instead of a solo guy but it's clear that Cam McDonald is a guy that needs to lead that group going into the season some of all its parts as Chris Nee would like to say that's another yeah, yes that we could that's a that's a Leonard Hamilton is uh, yeah. passed down to me oh we'll get to Leonard Hamilton in a little bit don't worry buddy I got you covered I got you covered there yeah I think the tight end group uh I'll say this. I mean, Cam McDonald, we heard that he had put on some really good weight in the offseason. I know he was already headed to that point in the spring. Uh, he had said, I think, he put on about 10 pounds. Sounds like he put on another five to 10 more pounds and didn't lose any of his athleticism. You see pictures of him. Uh, he certainly looks the part, which is really exciting for FSU because you know what him coming out of high school. He had a lot of the the physical tools that you wanted in a tight end, but kind of still look like a wide receiver physically, like wasn't quite strapping and bulky yet. So the fact that he's putting that together is really encouraging because of how that position is used so often in the Mike Norvell offense, Jordan Wilson from the clips we've seen in practice, like that's, 
if he was brought in to be tight end two and to be the big inline blocker type, be like the number two tight end when you go to that package about 10% of the time, he physically looks the part. And then White Rector and, and Carter Boatwright, I think both they're going to be able to at least carve out some roles, either at depth, special teams. I, I think they both bring value. So you, you're right, Chris, that there's different skill sets for each guy that you just hope if they all maximize it, you'll be fine this year, but you do need them all to live up to, to what you think they, they can be. There can't be just a, a falling below beneath the bar with that group. It can't happen. You do need them all to live up to, to hopefully what they can do. Uh, let's I put, see. I, I, oh. One second. I put up a clip on Wilson after day one and people mm-hmm. were like, Oh man, he looks heavy. I didn't see that at all. I don't think he's heavy. I think he's a big body. Like I think people need to understand they want a big body. Essentially his ability is to be a six lineman who can also work down the field, and that's what his body is. I know this. He he trains with a group out of, I think it's out of Tennessee area, but a lot of kids in Alabama, Tennessee, all train with him. He puts in a ton of work. He he was busting his ass between the time away from UCLA and the time he arrived at FSU, and he's not in bad shape. Like, he is a big body. It's a lot lumbering down the field, but he's not out of shape. Like, there's a difference between out of shape, like I haven't put forth the effort I need to, and what Jordan Wilson is. He's not out of shape. So I was taking a picture and sent it to an old gif. He asked if we were recording a podcast today. I agree. He looked fine, Chris. What was the name of the tight end? Not even fine. He looked like big and like how he's supposed to look. What was the name of the tight end that they were close to getting ended up going to Alabama from UNC, the transfer? Oh, uh, ooh, got a picture of him. Carl something. Versus... Carl something. Carl, Carl Tucker. That's Carl it. Tucker, I believe That's it was. It. Uh, they wanted a big bodied physical blocking tight. And that's what Carl Tucker was. That's what Jordan Wilson uh, ideally projects as. That's what Kobe gross is going to be. Yeah. Yep. So that's, there's a role there. I don't have any issue with the shape that Jordan Wilson seemed to come in on. Um, go back track a little bit. Cause we got excited. Cause Carter Boatwright was mentioned. Chris had to take <laughs> his little victory lap. Let's go to running backs. Jay Sean, well, the man, we feel pretty good about that. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear. Corbin's going to be running back one. I think Webb's probably your most likely number two, but I think it's going to be a group effort. Um, the the main talk with that is that it's a new running back room. Obviously, no returning scholarship players for Florida State. Corbin's got college experience, obviously, and then FSU does have two walk-ons with experience in the running back room. So there are some guys that can be leaned on in the college game since Deontay Sheffield's been praised for his leadership with guys with the fact that he has been in the program for several years and Corbin's guy who's obviously played the game at the SEC level so they're kind of the guiding force but in general that room's learning together a lot of praise for David Johnson as well as Kenny Dillingham for how they teach the running backs sounds like a very patient approach that they're very explanatory that they go in depth about the knowledge that you need to have at a position what they're demanding of you at that position it's not simply line up to rock and run there's a lot of ins and outs um, we talked to Corey Wren and Lawrence Tolafilli yesterday. Tolafilli conversation really didn't bring much home. But Wren, you know, a guy who plans to run track at FSU still, he told me yesterday when I asked him that question, he's a guy that can be used in a hell of a lot of different ways. His versatility is probably his greatest asset. Same with Ja'Kai Douglas in that running back room. Those are both guys you can line up in the slot, you can move around, you can throw it to. I wouldn't really say anybody in that room is a bad receiving back. Um, I know Corbin's a pretty high-level receiving back in his own right. So I think we're going to see a lot of versatility in that room, but they're still learning. It's a it's a group effort. Um, I described it kind of like Musketeers, all for one, one for all type of thing. It's very much that right now where they are trying to get a good grasp of what's being asked of them. It's not super cutthroat about, oh, I want to be one, I want to be two. I think they all understand 
there's going to be a role for guys as long as they don't redshirt. I asked Norvell yesterday about the versatility of that group because that's something that he talked about when he signed all the guys back in either December or February initially. And uh, and I want to see if they, he thought that still translated over to practice. His response, he said, yes, it's going to be a really good group. Uh, he's been around some really good ones in the past, and this one he had really high expectations for. That was his shortest answer of the day. Did I just ask it awkwardly, Chris, or do you think he was coy or not happy with it? I didn't know how to take the answer. Mike seemed a little uh, tired yesterday, to be perfectly honest. He seemed a little worn after three straight days. Um, several of his answers were a bit shorter. I think the thing with that is he talked a lot about that on, what, day one, about the running back room. So I think he kind of feels like with some of that stuff, it's quick rehash, and he's just not there for it. He's not ready to gush on guys after three days of practice. He's He's gone out of his way not to be super direct about a whole lot of individual players which I think is pretty normal coach speak in the sense of they don't want to gas up a lot of individual guys. So there'll be little single liners like Jordan Travis is throwing it well, you know, things like that. But there's not a whole lot of let me just go in on these guys. You know, probably the main guy we've heard that of in the last few days is like an Amari Gaynor. We heard Adam Fuller and Chris Murr, but gush on Amari Gaynor. There hasn't been a whole lot of individual gushing in general by the coaching staff led by Mike Norville. And Norvell brought up Gainer by himself. Not by himself, but he was asked about the linebackers, and that was a name that he mentioned too. That, that's one thing that we're still trying to get used to is with Jimbo, there were certain tells you can you can tell. Usually when Jimbo omitted someone, because he would name everyone, if he omitted someone, it meant that he wasn't really happy with them. Uh, they were they were dead to him, basically. You could tell when he loved somebody too, yeah. because it would be like, oh, I'm pushing him. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> him and Jameis, the relationship probably was the greatest painting of a picture of the sense of, I think this kid is, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, and I'm going to push him till the brink, and we're going to see how good he can be. And it was funny with Jimbo because he learned that, and then everybody else was below that. And then there were guys he just never spoke of that, you know, were pretty much dead and off the roster. It was after the Boston College game in 2013 when the defense, that was the game before the defense kind of did its full transformation. And uh, he went through and someone asked about the defense not playing well. And he went through and listed every single starter on defense except for Dan Hicks and Niall Lauren Stample. (laughs) (laughs) And and lo and behold, those two guys weren't starting the next week. They went to the nickel package. So uh, yeah, Jimbo and his Jimbo. So anyways, different coaches are going to have different formulas and ways they want to get messages through the media or just not use it at all. Willie Taggart by the end just decided he wasn't going to have any messages for the media other than a middle finger, a middle finger to us. So uh, just getting to learn about what coach Norvell is saying uh, is going to be a process for us to try to sift through. Is that fair? Yes. Yes, it is. All right. Wide receivers and tight ends. Tamori and Terry still really freaking good. I think. Yeah. It, it's straight up. Fr- I think the freak label is completely fair there. He he is drastically bigger looking, and holy hell, is he still chugging down the field? If yeah, if he yeah. can if he can get good at all the little things, some of the small things that he didn't do well last year, as far as like in and out of breaks and catching some shorter routes and doing a better job of leaning on DBs on routes that are in tighter spaces instead of simply being the super explosive vertical guy, oh, watch out! He can be one of the best in the college game. Yeah, hopefully there's a season for Tamar and Terry to do his thing. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. He talked about moving around different, I don't know about positions, but just different places on the field. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of the numbers in my head. 90% of his snaps last year were as the right outside wide receiver. And I yeah. think about a quarter of his patterns were some sort of deep pattern too, which like, hey, you're maximizing 
Tamar and Terry to be what he is, which is fast and explosive. But for him to make money at the next level, he's going to have to do more of it. And that's the appeal of this offense is, is Mike Norvelkin has shown he can help wide receivers get to that point. Yeah, and the greatest thing Terry can do in improving his game, he's always going to be respected as a deep threat. He's earned that over his two years of play. So teams are always going to have that safety kind of cheating and looking at him. And, you know, if they go one-on-one, they know FSU is probably going to go there. But if he gets good at the smaller stuff and forces, you know, the other pieces of the chessboard to move around him, it frees up a lot of space for the other guys going down the field, whether it's a receiver, running back, tight end. The other takeaway or the biggest takeaway I could take – I can understand from the wide receivers, just given what we know, who we've talked to so far. Uh, seems like Keyshawn Helton is uh, is good to go this season and, and will be a factor. I'm not sure if he's 100%, but it seems like he's pretty darn close to it. And we're not surprised by this. Keyshawn works his backside off. He, he's been getting after it. He's one of those guys, him, Amari Gaynor, I think we singled a few out during those offseason uh, you know, talking about knowing guys were putting in the work. We knew Terry was, we knew Helton was, we knew Wilson was, we knew Gaynor was. And those are some of the guys you've heard bubble to the top here. So I'm not surprised by it. I, I am a little bit, just didn't know he'd be ready for game one, week one. I, I thought that would be maybe a month into the season based on the initial timeline. But to your point, Chris, we knew he was going to work really hard and do everything he could to get to that point. And as Jimbo would say, some guys just heal faster, right? So yeah. maybe maybe that's it. But we knew he was going to do the work and to put himself in position to, to play. The only other thing I'd throw it out at receiver out of the limited clips we've seen, Brian Robinson showed the Jets in one really yeah, nice vertical nice. catch. That was nice. And then uh, Kendron Portier showed that he's a big, tall outside receiver, went up and got one. Um, we know that, you know, Mike Norvell and his staff love using big outside receivers. So certainly I think Kendron kind of fits into that keyhole. I Wanted to ask about the catch the other day on the Zoom call and the last name, the Poitier. I didn't feel confident I could recite it without the edit button. Poitier. It's preseason, man. We're all learning. <laughs> I just call him KP. All right, we talked about tight end. Let's talk about the big boys on the offensive line. We've gotten to speak with Darius Washington so far. Uh, anyone else? Andrew Baselli. So we've gotten a guy, a couple guys who are Alex fine. Atkins. We got Alex Atkins as well. So, but for players, we've gotten a few. We're supposed to get more coming up this week. I'd imagine Devontae Love Taylor would be one of those because we've heard a lot of good things about him. Uh, and some of the clips that FSU sent out and some of the photos, unless they're just playing a little rope a dope with us, just trying to trick us, it looks like DLT is at right tackle, which is, I think, makes a lot of sense. And Brady Scott's at right guard. We had heard maybe it would look a little different than that in the preseason. So, uh, that's that's a good development, Chris. Yeah, but, you know, I asked Atkins about it. I've asked some of the individual linemen about it. Cross training is going to happen. Sure. I think I think a guy like DLT, you know, if he makes it to the next level, he's probably going to end up being a guard. At oh, shocking level. you would say that. Well, he is. Yes. Um, I think there's examples where if FSU needs to just line up and run it, you could see him slide inside if they're just trying to power and go straight ahead. I don't think that's going to be the type of offense they're trying to run. I don't think we're going to see that often, but I think there are examples where that could be done. Essentially making the best of the package you can run out there, kind of finding the best personnel. I think in general, if you're trying to maximize right tackle and have the best possible person there, he's it. And that's why we're going to see him predominantly work there. But I don't think the right guard part of that conversation is completely dead and buried. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And I think, like you said, we're still seeing different guys move in and out, especially like at center. And Bavion Johnson, Andrew Buscelli, Murray Smith are three names that we've heard are all kind of vying for that spot. Yeah, and then 
Atkins gushed about Thomas Schrader, the freshman. He's probably not going to end up in that mix because he is a true freshman, and there are multiple guys ahead of him with experience who can all play the position. But it's pretty clear Atkins really likes Schrader. Schrader's done a good job making a mark. I would say he stands out among that freshman group in the sense of being the most prepared to contribute early on and mentally processing everything that's going on right now. Mike Norvell said that as well, basically the exact same thing. He hasn't had a whole lot of guys on the offensive line before have come in and been able to process the game like Thomas Schrader does. This was before pads were on, granted, but uh, even Josh had some scoop back in, well, like a month ago on the message board. We were putting out different things we were hearing, and uh, and Thomas Schrader was a name that had come up. So it's good. He keeps coming up from different places. That's an encouraging sign. Was it Norvell or Atkins that gassed up Chaz Neal just a bit, that threw out a one-liner on him? It was, about- it was Norvell. Yeah, people ate that up real quick. I, I'm gonna always gonna be a wait and see attitude with Chaz Neal. I, I do think Chaz has put in the work. I think he's made a great deal of effort to improve. I think work ethic wise, he's one of the better ones on the team, and certainly at that position, he's one of the best. It's just a matter of does it eventually click, and does he understand how to play that position? That was his biggest issue when he walked in the doors. He didn't know how to play that position. And physically, he still had to put on about 40 or 50 pounds, which he's done. Yeah, that, that part's been taken yeah. care of. He, yeah. he passes the eye test, maybe more than anyone else on the office line. Like, he looks the parts, just about putting it all together. Uh, yeah, I would venture to guess it would probably still be another year from where we can have a legitimate conversation to say he's someone who maybe, but hey, maybe he can be like a swing. Maybe, Chris, he can be someone who gives you like 100 snaps this year as a swing tackle or, or backup quality replacement level guy. Yeah. That would, that would be something. That, that would be. That'd be serviceable. Would be cool with that. Uh, Darius Washington right now we think is the starting left tackle. Uh, he got worked in the clip against uh, uh, Joshua Kando the other day, but you know, he's someone who's coming off of shoulder surgery. This is his first contact since what was the last game he played? Remember uh, BC? He came in at Wake. That was the first he played. I believe the next three, right? And yeah. So BC out, would so. have been the last one. So he hasn't had contact with anyone since November. Yeah, and so a little that, rusty. That, that shoulder strength is still probably a bit of a work in progress too, as he comes right. back. Right. And it's, it's his left I, shoulder, I believe too. So you have someone beating you on the outside and your left shoulder is going into them. Yeah. It's still. If, if Kando wants to do that all the damn time, I'm okay. fine with it because FSU will be a much better team if Joshua Kando is doing that on a regular. Maybe because my tolerance for people being negative right now is just lower than than usual, just because there's so much negativity out there that I'm exhausted by it. But holy crap, man, the people going, well, who was the offensive tackle on that clip with Kando or or the play that Dotson knocked down? Oh, the throw was late. The throw was behind. This is how practice works, guys, <laughs> when, when someone makes a good actually- play. That's how football works, too. Like, it, it's not always, oh, my God, both of those guys look fantastic on that rep. Someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. Now, you don't want your tackle losing as badly as he did in that clip, and you would hope he puts up a little better fight. But he did it on that one. And Kando got a great explosion, did a great job, and excited the hell out of defensive coaching staff. That's still a positive. Can't we just be excited that something cool is happening and we're watching football clips? Like, let's just let's enjoy it while we can. Yeah, I'm down for it. You know what else is positive, Chris? What? Being secure financially. Look at you. You just grooved right into that. <laughs> hey, you and I haven't done this before. We've been practicing. Let's see if our chemistry is better than Josh's. I, I do want to say this. I went to a financial advisor myself about like three years ago, and it was because of Chris Nee, because he, I won't say who, but we knew someone uh, who, who Chris said that would be a really good idea to to go to and be, to have a plan. And I just have to say the 
the amount of ease and confidence and reassurance it has to know like what your situation is and know what you need to do better at, what you're doing better at than most people, uh, just to kind of have guardrails in place, man, that gave me ease. And I can imagine for you too, Chris, that that's, that you sleep easy at night knowing that you're kind of on that path. Yeah, it helped guide me to buying my next house, making sure my kids were prepared for college as far as financial. We got wills in order. It, it's not as simple as dollars and cents. There's a whole lot that goes along with the what they do. And it's one of those things where it can really put your mind at ease. And even if you feel like you have a good grasp on it, it's good to have somebody else you can sit there and kind of go back and forth with on the ideas about handling your financials. And life insurance too. Uh, both of us are worth much more debt yes. than alive. With that in mind, Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial offers all those services. And he has different plans for you, uh, depending on where you're at right now. But but he has a toll-free consultation where you give Daniel a call and he's able to kind of give you an early idea into what entry level you can make with your finances and and what path you can take. And then you work with Daniel from there. So uh, let's take a quick commercial break for Daniel. I'm going to do the ad read here. I have to do a recording of it because I can't read that many words. I'm just being very transparent. I can't read that many words that quickly. So we're going to take the ad read and then we'll be back on the other side to talk about the defense. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA, SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated, 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Sinone, you are a true master. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't force you to say that at all. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Daniel. We appreciate your support, man. Uh, Let's talk about the defense. We finished off talking about Joshua Kando and what he was doing at defensive end, and it was truly impressive to see that level of speed and burst and strength from someone that big. That's what we've been wanting to see from that guy for years now. There's just one clip. I get it, guys. I, I want the context to be there, but Chris is shaking his head vigorously. That was nice to see. Yeah, I'll take it. Do it like 17 times this year, and FSU will be really damn good. 17 sacks you want out of them? Yeah, I'm being greedy. I mean, let's be honest If here, they get 17 sacks in 10 games, probably if, even less, uh, they're winning a national championship. If he If he does that for me – yeah. You know, he'll make a lot of money for himself. So we're good. It's a good trade-off. You know I mean, he's doing all the work, but I'm good with it. You know who can help him with his newfound income and money and create a good financial plan? Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial. Daniel, you're getting your money today, sir. I got I to gotta be honest. <laughs> 
Um, you, know, you know who can help Daniel with his money? No, okay. Uh, the, the defensive ends, we haven't gotten to talk to a ton of them. We haven't gotten – we talked to Coach Papuchas, but that was on the first day of practice. And it was I, actually and, more about special teams. Correct. And that was before practice, actually, right? Yeah. Day yeah, it was, a, it was the day before. I'm still very interested to see how that rotation shakes out. We know you, Kendo. We know J-Rob. We think you have a good idea on what both those guys are right now. The question to me, well, I guess, one, do they take the next step? We'll see. But two, maybe more realistically, is like who fortifies the depth behind them right now. I think that's what yeah, I want to see how camp transpires. One thing Papucha said about that position is those guys are probably interchangeable. They could play both spots um, as far as Kando and Romson. I think the guys that you want to see take the next step after them are the Romsons, Quayshon Fuller's. Um, I'm sorry, not Romson. McClendon. Fuller, McClendon. McClendon. Derek McClendon, Quayshawn Fuller, those are probably the next guys up where they can make the huge difference for you. So that is going to be a wait-and-see position. There hasn't been a whole lot of clips of them. We had the Kandel one, obviously, but I don't think beyond that we've really had any, if I no. recall correctly. No, very so. little. Um, and that's why I'm kind of interested to kind of see how that's transpiring. Uh, Josh Griffiths is another name. I wouldn't completely put him out of your, out of your mind because – He's someone who physically, I mean, he's put on about 20 pounds since he got here legitimately. He's very serious about his craft, uh, but plays with a lot of energy, extremely chippy as well. We've seen that over his high school career. Like he does not mind mixing it up and and playing beyond the echo of the whistle as uh, the great Mickey Andrews would say. So uh, he's someone that I think the staff has some plans for as well as a true freshman. Not a ton, but if he can give you 10 snaps a game and help supplant some of the other guys and the rotation, that would be nice. Uh, oh, one other little scoop here, Chris, for you. I forgot to mention it back when we were talking about the offense. Heard some good things about Corey Wren's speed. I know he said he's the fastest guy on the team. I know it's not surprising, but I used to describe to me as being fast, fast. <laughs> fast, fast. So uh, the, the track speed numbers that you see uh, are reflected in his play on the field, which is exciting. I did enjoy yesterday when Ren was asked about racing, who would compete with him. He's like, I'd win. Like, I, I like that. I, I want the guy. I don't need humble pie there. There, If you're fast, go be fast. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He, he was certainly very confident and very polished that interview as well for, uh, yeah. for a true freshman doing his first one. Very impressive. I'll, I'll take us to D tackles. Got to talk to my boy, Robert Cooper. Coop's doing a great job. He's down around 335 or so. He, he, he looked, his face looked thinner on the Zoom. Yeah. He's dropped. 50 pounds since he got to FSU and he looks like a different kid. And he said, stamina wise, it's just night and day that he's able to stay out there so much longer. He's really excited. Um, I think that whole group is pretty excited. Obviously it's very good at top with Marvin, Corey Durden, Robert Cooper, Marvin Wilson, obviously being Marvin. And then you add Fabian Lovett. That's kind of your probably You're starting too deep. You got a guy like true Thompson. who has got a lot of snaps under his belt can help you there. Dennis Briggs, who's moving more inside consistently He's another guy that can help you there. So you got a real solid three deep rotation with some other pieces behind it. A guy like Malcolm Ray is one we're going to have to take a wait and see to see if he breaks out, starts making a bit of a dent this year, getting some reps. Um, in Cooper's case, when we spoke to him, I thought the thing that stood out the most was he said that they're they're on full attack mode this year. They're not about eating up space and freeing up others as much as they were a year ago when they were three wide. This year it's going to be about two guys trying to pressure that pocket, push it back, and get after people in the backfield. And I think that plays to the strength of the top of that depth chart. Fuller talked about that as well, isolating the defensive tackles, which is a really interesting concept to me. And that's what he did a lot at Memphis. He did a lot of stunts and moving guys around uh, post-play, post-snap to try to kind of put them in one-on-one situations with the offensive linemen. 
to uh, to basically go ahead. You give me a one-on-one block and I'm going to beat them. Give me the angle and, and I'll make a play in the backfield. They have the guys to do it. Like you said, Chris, adding to Cooper. Uh, one, do you think he's going to ever get tired of people asking about the weight loss? Like, it's great that he's done it, but I feel like that's every single time we talk to the poor guy. It's, it's well, I mean, weight loss. there's always a gap between when we talk to him. So there's always a new level of he's that's done true. a great job. So I think he appreciates it. I think I thought it was funny when he said he thought he could do everything at 380, 390, and now he realizes how much better off he is being 50, 60 pounds lighter. That's so, what I wanted to say is, man, did you see the clip of him yesterday moving yeah. through the bags? That was impressive. He he looked lighter. Yeah, he. I love Coop. I think very highly of him. You know, his, his brothers in coaching, he's a kid that kind of loves it. He loves Odell. I I think Coop's going to be super successful here. I think that he's, you know, I don't view him as a backup, you know, top 40 list, I think spoke to that. I view him as a crucial piece of that Florida State defense. The emergence of Fabian Lovett, I think, would be like the the cherry on top. We know what Marvin Wilson is. We have a good idea of what Corey Dearden is, although if he can clean up the missed tackles, that's someone who can go from being above average to good and very disruptive in spurts to being borderline dominant, which is where Marvin Wilson is right now and probably about to to take that next step to just being utterly dominant. Uh, Fabian Lovett can be the next guy in that, in that line. And you see him a little bit from the clips as well. The first couple of days, big dude, but, but someone who looks pretty athletic for his size. I'm excited to see what Odell and, and, uh, and Adam Fuller are able to do with that group this year and how they're able to kind of maximize that talent. That, that group seems to be as good as advertised very early on here in camp. Linebackers, that's kind of, to me, the, the the wild card of the defense right now, other than maybe the edge rushers. The, the linebackers have the potential to be a really deep group with some upside and some solidified experience, but you need Leonard Warner and Emmett Rice to prove that they are the seniors that you think they are. We, we did hear some good things about them, though, when we talked to both uh, Marv and and Mike Norvell yesterday. Yeah, I, I think with Warner, it's just a matter of keep him away from the things he's not good at. There, There is value to Leonard Warner's game, but it's plugging holes, it's working downhill, it's playing in a tight box. This whole trying to make him flip his hips and turn that was going on last year is just asinine. It's stupid. It's not what he is or who he is. Emmett Rice, I mean, second leading tackler on the team returning. I think Rice is set for his best year as long as he stays healthy. I think the best thing about that position, I wrote about in the preseason preview, I think they can change the narrative. I think, one, Chris Marv's a hell of a coach. I think he's an insanely intelligent dude, um, both from a football standpoint and just a general life standpoint. I think Chris Marv's great for guys in that room. I think technique fundamentals are going to be at a higher level in that room than they've been in, hell, five years, six years at least. So I think that right there is going to instantly create returns. Amari Gaynor's ready to be one of the best players on Florida State's roster. When you listen to Adam Fuller, Chris Merv, Mike Norvell speak of him, it's pretty clear they all understand he's put in the work. He went from about 200 to 230. It's made a drastic difference. He's ready to kind of be wild off that edge, but also gives you a lot of mismatch creativity on the outside as a stud linebacker. We heard Norvell talk about Kalen. I think it was Norvell. It may have been Chris Merv. It was yesterday. Uh, speak about Kalen Deloach working behind Gaynor as a stud and the potential for him to develop there. I don't know that Deloach is a guy that explodes on the scene this year, but I think his body type definitely fits that role. And I think, you know, got a little bit of a taste of it last year. So I think if he's thrown in the fire this year, he's ready and capable of handling it to a degree. And then you got some really nice big physical bodies. You got Kevon Glenn, DJ Lundy, Lundy uh, Stephen Dix. Lundy. 
Monday, all three of those guys, Stephen Dix being the third one, are guys that bring a lot of physicality to that role. Stephen Dix is probably the most advanced of those three right now just because the body's already there. He had the spring. I think him and Glenn would be guys kind of hand-in-hand, but I think Dix just has something about him that would slightly put him ahead. So you got some depth. you got some ability. It finally feels like a position where guys are in the right place. They're going to be used the right way. There's an array of skill sets that are somewhat interchangeable, which aligns with a question that Sinone asked, I believe, Chris Merb yesterday about, do you kind of view the three positions as interchangeable? I think to a slight degree you do, but obviously a stud's going to be a little different than a Mike who you want plugging things up. Um, but I just think they've got it. I think they have the ability to be a strength for FSU where it's been such a glaring weakness for years and truthfully was a cluster the last two where it was just a mess. Guys looked poorly coached. Guys were completely out of position. Guys looked like they had no idea what the hell they were trying to accomplish or what they were out there to do. I think we're done with that. I think that's gone. And I'm personally looking forward to it. I think it's the one position where FSU may be able to make the greatest leap forward from one year to the next. I think O-line will be better, but I don't think the leap will be as drastic as the leap we could see at linebacker. Sorry, I got distracted, Chris. I, I'm supposed to have a podcast meeting. When's 1230 Central time? 1.30 p.m. Oh, Eastern okay, time. we're good. We're good. The whole Central time still throws me off these days. All right, so let's go to the final position group. I don't have a whole lot more to add to linebacker because you did it very – uh, very efficiently. And I also was worried about the podcast meeting, so didn't pay full attention. <laughs> I don't want to repeat things for our audience. The defensive back room, uh, it's going to be interesting, man, because you have so many different pieces and options. I don't know how they all fit. And also we say that there's also a lot of unproven pieces and options too. Like who, what is the cream going to rise? Like who of these former four-star recruits, and there's plenty of them, is going to be the one who distinguishes himself. Let's talk about what we know. Asante Samuel, badass. He's, yeah, right? he's badass. He's going to claim one of those outside spots. Uh, after that, though, it gets interesting. Hampson Nazaraldine, we think is going to be a starting safety, but development yesterday, uh, let's just be transparent. FSU put out a video uh, on Seminoles.com or the YouTube page associated with FSU, Seminoles.com. I don't know exactly which one it was, but uh, FSU put out a video, sights and sounds deal for content. And in the background of one of the uh, clips of the wide receivers and DBs going head to head, you saw a number five on crutches. The number five is what Hampton Nazaraldine wears now, uh, kind of grainy inside the practice facility. It wasn't in focus because he was not the focus of the video, but it certainly looked like it could be Hampton Nazaraldine. Mike Norvell was asked about that yesterday. Uh, what would you say to Chris? The, the, the answer was not really. Uh, he chose to not really directly address Hampson's status other than they expect him to have a nice season. Correct. The The answer we've gotten in both asking FSU and then asking Norvell has been essentially going back to previous statements of some guys are still in the process of their rehab. I think the only concern is we saw Hamsa, we saw FSU put out a clip of, or I think it was, it was a picture of Hamsa back in either early July. I think it was when they had started the conditioning of him running running around with the brace on, but no crutches to see him back in the crutches. I think scares people to, to see there's a regression, but we don't know that for a fact right now. They seem to think that one thing Norvell did say is they expect him to have a good season. So we'll just take that for what it is, but that means what it's safety. Like what do we expect out of that position? I think to me, Chris, that's probably the most interesting dynamic is, is who fits in there. It's a position that Adam Fuller loves and, and covets values very highly. Renardo Green as field safety. Raymond Woody's apparently having a nice, nice camp. I get an interception every day. 
Yeah, Woody's Mr. Consistent. He always seems to make good plays. He always seems to be around the ball. I think that's a positive to have a guy like that. You know, Woodby's more of a box safety, so he's not the guy that you want doing a little bit of everything like you would have Nas doing. So I think it's more about finding that guy who can be your center field safety, and I'm not sure exactly how you're going to figure that out right now. I don't know which one of those guys. I think the two you mentioned, Woody, um, Renato Green, definitely fit into that role. And then you have a guy like Cyrus Fagan who might fit in that role too. So I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't think I don't think Samuel's in that. I don't think Akeem Dent's in that. I presume Travis Jay's not in that. I don't think Miko's in that. I think those are all corner types. Isaiah Bolden's probably a corner type as well. Um, and Jarvis Brownlee, I think, is a corner type. I'm not positive. So there, there's those guys that I can kind of separate, and then the rest is a pool of safeties, and you're trying to figure out who fits the roles you're trying to do. Jerry and Jones is another name that I'm interested to. Yeah, I think he's probably corner. Uh, but I think what he was body doing, type, he could play either. Right. He has the length to be a safety, but I think more bouncy and, and hasn't proven to necessarily, at least in Mississippi State, to be super physical just yet. So cornerback makes more sense. He's someone that Mike Norvell mentioned specifically the other day, and I think it was regards to his play at corner. Uh, he likes him. He, Norvell also mentioned Miko Dotson. They clearly like him. They've, they made him available pretty early on in practice. They put a lot of clips of him out there we mentioned that earlier but he looks like someone who's going to do exactly what we thought chris which is contribute this year a lot of people didn't like the take i i like the take i think you always take someone who can make plays and figure out where to put them footwork praised ball skills praised and those things have been proven on the field by him so i think it fits i don't know if he's a starter opposite of asante samuel but i think what he allows you to do which is something that the adam fuller didn't do a ton at memphis which is go nickel a ton yeah, you love him as a nickel idea. Like the way I love creating safeties, you love making him into a nickel. Uh, or you take Asante Samuel and you make him the nickel and you put me nope, nope, outside. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. Stop, right. stop with that blasphemy. Okay. Akeem Dent also talked to him. He's moved away from safety. He's back at corner. He said it's like being back at home. He's healthy. The ankle's in good shape. He's feeling good. He feels like he can really compete for one of those corner spots. I think he said he's working at field corner right now, if I recall correctly. That would make the most sense. Oh, no, you know what? I was thinking boundary, actually. So maybe it wouldn't make the most sense to me. Yeah, I, I believe in his interview, he said something specific to working at field. Okay. Uh, maybe a toughie then, because Asante Samuel is going to be tough to beat out. But Yeah, but you want depth. And, yeah. and that would mean the other side is probably Dotson, Travis, Travis J, and Miko Dotson are probably three guys heavy in that. And I'm not sure where Bolden and Brownlee fit into it. Brownlee, probably more field bold and probably more boundary just based on physical you know, size and dimension there. Uh, Carlos Becker as well. About yes. So you have some things, uh, this whole section here has told us that there's some things to kind of work out at, at defensive back, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And they got a ton of talent back there. It's a matter of tapping into the right talent, playing the right rotation and not necessarily rotating guys, but at least knowing that you have the dependable top half of your roster at that position. And then I think it's really about figuring out safeties. I think you figure out the back, and it's easier to figure out the front. I was trying to think, should we talk about special teams? No, Bob's not on the podcast. No, no I mean, JP chatted about it. It's clearly going to be a focus for this staff. I think you know that if you know Mike Novell's history. Um, John Papuchas is looking forward to doing it. We've had multiple players, Amari Gaynor comes to mind as one, talking about how they are focusing in, on it with drills and working towards it. And it is something that the best players are going to participate in. It's not a kind of throwaway. It sets the tone for Florida State on the field. 
Tamora and Terry mentioned that he'll be playing special teams. I know that gave some people agita, but you know what? You love special teams. You want your coach invested in that aspect. Uh, that means your best players, you're going to have to play on special teams. But that's like, I remember Urban Meyer did that. Like pretty was revolutionary doing that when he was at Florida and then Ohio state, like he, your, your best players play on special teams. That's, that's how it goes. Yep. Them's the breaks. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on, Chris, and give you, give you your moment here talk a little basketball. Because yeah, well, I mean they they only Leonard have Hamilton. the Woo! they only have number one uh, class in the country, and they already had that, and they just distanced themselves from the field yesterday. Jalen Worley, five star combo guard from Norristown, Pennsylvania, Westtown School, same school that produced Mo Bamba, Cam Reddish, and some others. Real talented two way guard. He can be a ball handler, primary ball handler. He can also go out and be your scorer. He can do both comfortably. He's not one of these guys you're going to try to develop into a point guard. He can be a point guard. He definitely fills that for this class in the sense of a primary ball handler. He's a six foot four, 175 pound, wiry, long guard. I think the best thing I've heard in talking to like Brian Snow about him, some others who are familiar with him and his family. He's a really intelligent kid, both on and off the court, very mature kid on and off the court. And he's the kind of guy you want running your team. He's the kind of point guard you want in the sense of he handles the good and the bad, but he can also rev the motor and go and just be a basketball dude at the same time. He adds to an excellent class. FSU's now got five commitments. You know, he'll work in the backcourt with Matthew Cleveland and Bryce McGowan's. And then in the front court, you have John Butler and Naheem McLeod coming in from the JUCO ranks. FSU has four commitments within the top 56 in the country now from the high school ranks. And Naheem McLeod is considered the number two junior college basketball player this year. Um, and Worley's the best of a bunch as far as rankings go. He's number 23 in the country, while Matthew Cleveland's number 24, according to the composite. So you're getting two really super elite guys at the top there. And, you know, McGowan's and Butler are not far behind either. So excellent class. They're continuing to put together. I think it speaks to year-over-year success for that program, the fact that they've produced nine guys in the draft here in over recent years, um, over Leonard Hamilton's years, and that recent years they've had a nice uptick with, you know, the Bacons, Bees, Lisa, John, and Isaacs this year. They'll obviously have two with Pat and uh, with uh, Devin Vassell. So it just – I think it's the fact that they've kind of built to this moment. People are like, oh, where did this happen? They've always recruited well. They've always been able to get some elite talent. I think this is a product of they've been really good for year over year over year combined with a coaching staff who has a great recruiting head coach, excellent assistance recruiting, and then you also have a program that just sells itself. The amazing thing about the recruiting is that most of these kids haven't been able to visit. And probably the best selling point of FSU basketball is the feeling of the basketball community within FSU. When you're part of that, it it just feels great. Like you feel like you're part of a family. You have coaches that care. You have players that get along. It just works. There's great dynamics there. And that sells FSU unbelievably well when kids are able to visit. They've had to do that in a virtual environment with a lot of information. And I think they've done an exquisite job. It's just it's an awesome class. You know, it's a type that I think Ham can ride all the way to the top as he's wrapping up his career here over the next several years. I'm not saying Ham's retiring anytime soon. The man's aging backwards, but at some point I feel like he is going to retire. Your whole life. Like, I feel like you evaluate things better than anyone else. Can you evaluate me? Like how, what would my scouting report be? There ain't enough hours in the day. It's because I'm very complex. like a fine whiskey i had an idea early before we started recording chris if i just throw this out there for our faithful listeners 
if you guys can somehow find a way to get a whiskey, a bourbon, a scotch, some sort of company that distills alcohol to sponsor a segment on this podcast, I know we should give them something, right? Yeah, yeah. They might give you their liver. That's fine. I'll probably need it if we get if somehow this agreement with bourbon comes with uh, free bourbon my way. But putting it out there, I'm challenging everyone. I, I like I like that you bring up drinking right before we transition to the downfall of college athletics this fall. Man, may need a lot of it. Uh, I'm going to be a hobo on the street, swinging swigging, uh, something out of a brown bag. We won't know exactly what it is, but. All right. More, more about the downfall of college athletics right after this break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. I like my anxiety starting to take over as we think about the downfall of college football and what that would mean for, you know, our website and careers and livelihoods and all that. And Chris is being the adult. Thank you, Christopher. We need You're welcome, buddy. We need an adult right now. But also, bourbon sponsor, please, people. Tag someone. Buffalo Trace. Anyone. We'll take it. All right. So we've avoided this topic uh, or at least haven't gone in depth on it again we want to entertain you guys we want to inform you but you can get this information other places at this point i think we need to at least put our opinions onto it chris because it's becoming harder and harder to avoid the the landscape of college football college athletics generally but college football as well just the money maker in the sport it's changing it's changing drastically it's changing very very quickly some of it's COVID related, but it also has to do with player empowerment. And, and these two issues are, I don't even know what they call them issues. These two topics are very intertwined with each other. Is that fair as a jumping yeah. off point? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the player empowerment facts trying to get there. It's being slightly buried by the idea of it's all about COVID. It's not all about COVID. Well, uh, businesses are using this and uh, trying to think of how much to say on the podcast here. Oh, let's do it. All right. Well, I mean, Florida State laid, laid off a lot of play, a lot of people in the athletic department because of COVID was the reason. And that is playing a big role in it. I'm not saying it's not. It's going to drastically change your, your financials, uh, the impact of it coming up. Uh, but at the same time, this athletic department was probably going to do some house cleaning anyways. Um, yes, they, they need to trim the roster in a sense of financials. Yeah. Regardless of a financial downfall or not, right. it was something they needed. So they used the ability of what was going on to still go ahead and do it. And that, and that's, I get it. I mean, that's it expedites the process. It forces your hand yes. a little bit. And I think using that as a microcosm, that's what we're seeing to, to an extent with 
the NCAA and college football and whether there's a season happening. On one hand, you have COVID, you have a pandemic, something that uh, I mean, as a nation, we can't agree on whether to wear masks or not. We don't know whether numbers are real or not. Like that's, uh, it's politically charged. It's all stuff that I don't want to get too in, much into the weeds to. What I will say is it's out there. There is a disease, it's affecting people. And there's going to be different factions of our audience or people in college football who are related to the sport moving forward, who are going to say it's fine for college athletes to go ahead and play. And they're probably going to be able to withstand if they do get a virus and it does spread because physically they, they are in the shape to be able to do that. And there's other people who say, well, what about the optics while the world's undergoing a pandemic of, of having people going out there and having close contact? What kind of example does that send? Uh, what if a player gets it and gets seriously hurt? There's, there's legal ramifications if they, contract COVID on the football field and you can tie it to that, which we don't even know if you can, but, but that's something that schools are weighing and considering as all those factors that are in there as we're in the middle of this pandemic. And then there also have players that are wanting to say, Hey, right now we have a little bit of leverage. Uh, we're out there risking our bodies all the time anyways, for basically well, not free, you get a scholarship, but we can argue whether that's as valuable as what you pay the coaches to, to coach the players or what the athletic directors make or uh, what the conference commissioners make. Uh, and now they're saying, well, we already have these abilities. We could already get hurt playing football anyways. And now you want us to do it in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we need a seat at the table, essentially. Is that a fair way to summarize it, Chris? I'd like your thoughts on this. Yeah, it's basically players are looking to unionize and college football, college athletics as a whole has kind of come to this cliff's edge that they've been tracking their way up to for the last couple of decades. And here we are. The uprising of student athletes is at a point where they feel comfortable speaking up in this manner. And that's what they're going to do. Basically, the belief of players want to play, but at the same time, we want to make sure protocols are consistent across the board maybe the potential essentially hazard pay. That's one of those that I would say they kind of go back and forth on, but it's more about consistent protocols, making sure we're doing it the right way, going about doing it. But it's clear with the, we want to play movement, which got launched yesterday, largely because of Trevor Lawrence, that there are plenty of guys on teams that want to play. And in speaking to guys this week, obviously Jamarcus Chapman opted out from Florida State, but in speaking to, I don't know, 10, 12 other players when they've been asked about things along those lines, the consistent theme is either I want to play or I worry about what I can control. You know, there's not a whole lot of, oh, I'm, I'm concerned about it going on. And I get the concerns. I'm not diminishing what can happen. I think it's a matter of players believe that there has to be some normalcy return to. The thing that I find crazy is the idea of canceling college seasons while still having students on campus. I, I actually think that's probably a more dangerous situation for a football player than if they're on campus with students and playing, because at least while they're playing, they're getting tested by the university. There are safety protocols by the university. It's being drilled into their heads about being safe. You know, at FSU, you got a guy like Andrew Baselli who went through the hell of COVID along with his family, who's able to speak on the subject directly to his teammates. And it sounds as though from speaking to him that they've taken those ideas very seriously. Not every school is going to have that same experience, but a lot probably do, either from a player or a player's family. So I don't know. I feel like presidents, chancellors are using an easy out because they're scared of the bigger conversation, which is essentially players unionizing. 
which I found really interesting what the players came out with, with the, we want to play movement yesterday, Chris, or even close to what was it pretty much like midnight. I was already sleeping when it happened. Um, but yeah. I think caught steam around 8 PM. And okay. I think Baselli did his deal around nine 30, but then they did the, they united, you guys followed. They united with the PAC 12 movement and what they were starting. Yes. To, that that was around midnight. Yes. Okay. That was around midnight, uh, which obviously gives even more substance to what we're discussing here when players are getting organized. Uh, but their list of, of what they wanted, and I'm pulling it up here, like with the tweet that Trevor Lawrence had out. Yeah, so the We Are United movement, which was the Pac-12 one that was done about a week ago, and the We Want to Play movement that Trevor Lawrence put out. These are what they're asking for. We all want to play football this season. Uh, establish universal mandated health and safety procedures and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among all conferences throughout the NCAA. Give players the opportunity to opt out and respect their decision. Guarantee eligibility whether a player chooses to play this season or not. Use our voices to establish open communication and trust between players and officials. This is, where, this is an important one. Ultimately, create a college football players association. And finally, representative of the players of all Power Five conferences. Uh, so, Chris, you mentioned unionization, but everything that they list, in, they list here and mention just on the surface, and obviously it's going to be more detailed than what we're talking about, it's all really reasonable. And and I think they kind of, this was a power play from the players to where if presidents, university officials start saying, well, it's about player safety. And uh, they're saying, Hey, we're, we feel like we're safe. If you guys just give us this. And also let, let's just throw this out there too. Football inherently is a very dangerous sport. So that's going to be tough. I think for to hide solely behind that. If, if you're a, a president of a university who doesn't want this. Yeah, I think this whole situation has put spotlight directly on the fact that college athletics is run by an idiot. Mark Emmer, <laughs> it's a he's a horrible president. I mean, he's he's literally a dude in a suit who does nothing. It's insane how little he cares about college football. Like he and I understand financially, he's not super invested in it because it's not like the NCAA tournament that they own that they make money off of. College football's money is very much made by the conferences as a whole through the BCS or not the BCS, but the playoff system. Mm -hmm. So I understand why Emmert's a little more separate, but his leadership is dreadful. It's horrible. He is worthless in it. If these players want to come to a table, I'm not even sure who they're coming to the table with because I don't think Mark Emmert's going to bring any success with it. Maybe it's the A5, the Power 5 commissioners that kind of lead the charge here. You know, the ACC, the SEC, the Big 10, the Big 12, the Pac-12. Maybe those are the guys that are going to sit down and deal with, but even they can't get on the same damn page. The Big 10 commissioners out here running away trying to cancel the season without having ample conversations and truly sitting at the table with the other four conferences and not doing something on his own. And we've seen that throughout this process of these guys cannot get together so i don't blame players for wanting to unionize to a degree because the reason the nfl is able to launch right now is the nfl and the nflpa bargained at a table made agreements made understandings and they're under the same uniform agreement which includes essentially the idea of a waiver process by the nfl about covid for the players but also protocols to try to keep the players safe that allows this to happen and obviously the nfl has more money it's a smaller environment with less teams it's a little easier to control i understand all those dynamics but college isn't trying to do that they have no plan they've had no plan from the get-go they've been flying by the seat of their pants and they all look like idiots as they're approaching a deadline here where they're about to cancel a you know 
billion dollar business, multi-billion dollar business, and cause major financial strikes for themselves as universities while angering players by not giving in to any demands or requests or even sitting at the table and having the conversation. And that's the problem with college athletics is we're banging our heads against a wall. We're not ready to run through that wall and figure out what the next step for college athletics need to be. Until they do that, these issues are going to keep happening regardless of if a pandemic is going on or not. A few things uh, on that, Chris. One, to me, the, the NCAA has been a powerless meat shield for years now. And I think this is just magnifies what we've already thought about the NCAA and how it's operated. So to your point, that then puts the onus on the conference commissioners and the conferences themselves, especially the Power Five, to kind of figure things out. What I don't understand is with the Big Ten, and that's where a lot of this news has kind of boiled up from from the weekend. Saturday, it was the MAC that said hey, no fall sports. And now it's the Big Ten, apparently, based on different various reports that's, that's saying uh, we want this to end. And then if you listen to Matt Hayes of um, Bleacher Report, he's reporting a few different things. But one of those is that the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12 are more proponents of ending the season and postponing it, however you want to say it. And the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 are like, nah, we want this to keep going. But here's what I don't understand, Chris, is like they, they're afraid of the financial ramifications of if you have to start giving a large piece of the pie or really any piece of the pie at, at all to football players and what that would look like. And obviously that's complex and would take time because you have different factors like say Title IX and uh, you're trying to figure out where to allocate where this money comes from. But what I don't get, Chris, is – as I get like that would completely turn your entire financial model on its head. But what the hell does canceling a football season do to the, to the financial model? Like what would Florida state do if they cancel football and they don't get the contract, the TV money, if they don't get any gate at all, uh, what happens to the athletic department? If there's no kind of bailout, I think it's fair to say there's a possibility of programs being folded. Uh, that's what I'm saying too. So like this changes everything. Everything's changing no matter what, where you go from here. I think, uh, I think that's what we're looking at is we're on the precipice of major change in college athletics and college football as well. Uh, I know you don't want to do it at kind of fly, flying by the seat of your pants, but here we are, man. Like I, I just, I don't know if canceling college football necessarily, if, if it's not for the safety of the players, if that gets poked, through uh, as as disingenuine and it's more about this other aspect of not having to pay them or at least buying yourself time to figure out how to do that the situation's still gonna like regardless of what direction you go like your athletic department's taking a hit because it's changing man it's changing no matter what college athletics desperately needs a solid leadership especially college football as a commissioner of the power five is something that i think would be beneficial because the need for those five to be in line in unison not acting independently despite conversations together is desperately needed we've seen that here in recent months and i think the other thing is they do need to come to the table with student athletes i'm not saying they need to give the student athletes every single thing they request i'm not a believer that you just give in and then you move on i don't think that's beneficial but the conversation needs to be had it's not going to go away and I just think now's the time to do that. If you're trying to, one, save the season, or two, have a better future for the sport, I think it's time to have that conversation. Yes or no, do we cover at some form or another in the 2020 year a college football game, Chris? You and I, do we cover one? I Right now. 
I am pessimistic on it because I feel like the pressure is going to build, but I do believe that the ACC and the SEC at least, and maybe the big 12, I don't know on that, but I know enough people I've talked to around ACC programs and SEC programs are pretty adamant about they want to play football. I think so too. I think I'm with you where I'm pessimistic. I feel this weekend reminded me of where we were back in March when I was sitting in, um, in California chicken grill after the practice and you were in Greensboro. You know, remember there was a few weeks ago where players were starting to leave and stuff. And I was like, Oh, this sounds, this feels like kind of like that day in March when, when the sporting world stopped, I didn't feel that way this weekend, last night, Sunday, I felt that way. It pisses me off that the Big Ten is the one driving this bus because they have a crappy commissioner, first and foremost. They're a league that just shouldn't be the one at the forefront of college athletics, truthfully, the SEC. And I know that irritates people because everybody hates the SEC, but the SEC is the one that should be driving this bus right now. And I just I find it absurd that the, the presidents, the chancellors, and the athletic directors of these universities, basically 60 universities, can't truly come together and do any form of groupthink or work together in a positive manner. Just mind-blowing to me. People are making decisions about their school or their conference of schools that are impacting 48, 50 other schools, other presidents, other ADs, other athletic programs, other football programs. I just – it drives me berserk. I, I can't believe that the Big Ten basically is canceling because the Mac canceled. That blows that, my mind. That's that, what that, I want. That, that's a – it's the linchpin. Why are we sitting here talking about we can have so many fans in stadiums or no fans in stadiums? We're working, players are testing, there's no positive tests, preseason camps going, all these things are positive. Then the Mac cancels, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to cancel a whole damn thing. Maybe we do. Maybe we get to a point where it truly seems like it does not make any sense at all to run football programs during the fall. But I don't think that happened this week. And somehow Sunday came about and it seems like the whole thing flipped on its head and now we're ready to cancel all of it. And I just find that asinine. I find that to be a failure in leadership at so many levels. We are we, and I say we the collective we as in college football, we're kicking the can down the road. That's yes. what they were doing. And now that and that's twice now that the Big Ten has has disrupted the kicking the can down the road model. And I don't understand, I can't figure out what the strategic reasoning for that is i think it speaks to there was no plan for this whole time they've had since march to figure out how to how they were going to do college football they knew in march when everything happened that college football was going to be a task if numbers didn't improve and things didn't get better so it's mind-blowing to me that we get to this point and it seems like schools are like dumbfounded by what's happening in real time instead of having proper protocols to do what they're trying to do you know, I think that we've seen FSU has good protocols. They've prepared themselves to have success. But I don't know that that's the rule across college football. And that's just disappointing to me that we got to here in August and schools just didn't seem prepared and conferences didn't seem prepared. And at some point, you structure the best possible bubble idea you can because you've seen the NBA bubble work, the soccer bubble work to a degree, while MLB has had obvious struggles. So you learn from what's happening. I don't feel like any of that's going on in real time. Instead, it's just kicking the can down the road, trying to figure out what's next, trying to figure out if it flies, and then going with it. And then the minute you get scared and cautious without any real reason to truly pull the plug based on what you had done to that point in time, you're just ready to pull the plug. And you're going to pull it on yourself and potentially a bunch of others. And that that's what irritates me about the Big Ten being the pace car in this. All right, and we have a special guest joining us right now to break this down. Josh, I muted you. You're going to have to talk, buddy. Or you have to hit that unmute button. I said I'm not that special. You are special. I'm you know why? Every, I'm here every week. How am I even a guest? Like, 
Because it's your birthday, Chris. We're going to sing to him. Ready? One, no. two, three. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Oh, All right. no. How old are you, Spliffy? Are we 38. Said, oh, were you right? Did you know his age? I was. I think I said 38 earlier. In fact, you know his age. I told Chris, I, I don't like that I know your birthday. I don't want to know any of my friend's birthday. I don't want to be able to wish anyone a happy birthday. I want to be a curmudgeon. I don't want to know mm. anyone's anything. Me and him are right around the same, so it's pretty easy. If Old his asses. birthday was on my wife's anniversary, our anniversary, I would remember our anniversary better too, probably. <laughs> Isn't your anniversary on... Uh, oh, it's no, one never of, mind. Your, it's your one of those last days in July. I always struggle with specifically which one. Mine's on July 7th, so it's easy to remember. Yeah, if you cover college football, you're almost always married in July, I feel like. That's true. That's true. All right, Josh, get out of here. That was it. We just wanted to sing to you. All right. Happy birthday. Thanks, guys. Bye. (laughs) All right, I think we're done here. Uh, Yeah, I was going to get into some heavy topics about, like, me having to file for unemployment if there's not college football season, but I think we should just end it on a happy note. Yeah, you should just go crack a bottle and get drinking now. All right, for On the Bench, this has been Brendan Sidone. Uh, Chris Lee, thanks for joining me. Josh, happy birthday. We'll talk to you guys hopefully about football later this week, but who the hell knows? We'll see. <laughs> go, 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 go. That was me thinking. It's not as good if you have to explain it. <laughs> <laughs>